Um, welcome back from the break. It's great to have y'all here. I hope y'all had uh, fun. I think I drove over 1,500 miles in four or five days, um, so that was not restful at all. But it's good to be back in Macon. Uh, we are back in the Gospel of John tonight, John chapter 10, if you want to turn there in your own Bibles or read along your handout. If it's your first time to RUF um, tonight, welcome you. My name's Elliot Everett. I'd love to meet you. It's my first semester here, for those of y'all who don't know that. We uh, like to say that RUF is a safe place. We want it to be a safe place for um, the convinced and the unconvinced alike to come and examine the truth claims of Christianity, specifically the truth claims of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, and the main way that we do that uh, is by going to his words uh, as they are recorded for us in scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. And we usually work through a book. We've been working through the Gospel of John. Um, if you look at your little in- infographic there on the front of your bulletin, we're looking specifically at uh, the I Am statements. Who was Jesus? Who did he say that he was? And tonight we're looking at this claim that Jesus makes that he is the good shepherd. So if you would, read with me here. Um, we're going to read the first 30 verses of John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he, he who, I cracked, that was awesome. Truly, <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of the words. Many of, them, many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of, those, of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. 
So the Jews gathered around him and they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray. Father, we come now to your word, and we long to see our good shepherd. Would you be that to us tonight? Would you lead us beside still waters? Would you restore our souls? Father, would you quiet our hearts? Speak to us words of truth and life, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I get to give a shout out here at the beginning to uh, REF campus minister at Mississippi State, Brian Sorgenfry, for his insights in this passage, and also a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina who used to be an RUF campus minister at Mississippi State a long time ago, Brian Habig. They're kind of giants in, of guys I listen to. Uh, I like to listen to people preach because it helps me, as you're about to find out. Because um, it's their thoughts and not mine. Um, but think about this. What is, it, what is it that you think about when you think about shepherd in the Bible? I, one of the things I immediately go to is Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, We think about him leading us and taking care of us. And throughout the Old Testament, God often is referred to and refers to himself as the shepherd of his people, Israel. He refers to his people as his flock, as his sheep. Um, For anyone who knew their Old Testament, who heard Jesus when he said this, his claim to be the shepherd was nothing short of him claiming to be God. He was claiming it. Shepherd is one who cares for, who nurtures, who leads, who seeks the well-being and the betterment of those under his care. That is what a shepherd does. The shepherd's not a partner. The shepherd is over. He takes care of. He meets holistically the needs of those under his care. And the Bible's basic assumption is that we all need a shepherd. And the Bible's also, another assertion the Bible makes over and over again is that we all have shepherds because we're all looking for something to take care of us. We're all looking for something to give us security. We're all looking for something to give us peace. We all have shepherds. The question is, what is our shepherd? What is it that we look to to make us feel okay? That this life isn't as hopeless as it feels most of the time. What is it that we're looking to? Or what is it that we want to to give us that feeling? Okay, maybe it's not giving it to us, but we are constantly running after it, just praying that it'll give it to us. The question tonight is, what makes Jesus the one true shepherd? What is it? And how do I know him uh, from other shepherds? I've got three things there listed for you in your handout. And the biggest one that sticks out that I... Obviously, I think, um, is that Jesus says he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. 
his sacrifice. That is kind of the biggest mark of what makes Jesus the true shepherd. He talks about himself being the good shepherd, but he also throws in these warnings about false shepherds or hirelings or thieves and robbers, okay? So how is it that we know the difference? Okay, he lays down his life for us, yeah, but how, how do I know that difference? Well, understand the context here. John chapter, last, two weeks ago, um, yeah, actually three weeks ago because we didn't have RUF before spring break. Three weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' claim that he was the light of the world. Okay, he was in the temple and he's telling, he says, tells the people, I am the light of the world. And immediately when he leaves there, he encounters this man that was born blind and he heals him. He gives him sight. Okay, and so the man goes to the Pharisees and, and tell them, like, this guy, he, I've been blind since birth. I can see now. And they're getting his testimony about it. Um, and he says, this man must be from God for him to have done this. And they tell him basically to shut up. And when he doesn't, he says, he has to be God. They kick him out of the synagogue. They basically excommunicate him. To be cast out of the community back then, that, that was a spiritual death knell. To be kicked out of the synagogue would to be not saved anymore basically. Okay, so in that context, um, we have those who were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, not only not taking care of one of their own sheep, but actually abusing him, scandalizing him, a frail one among them. Jesus, and this man finds Jesus again, and he worships him, and what we find Jesus doing is caring for this man, body and soul. Next week, we're going to come and we're going to see Jesus go to his friend who's dead and once again care for his body and soul. This is the context. Sandwiched in between those two is this context that we have Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And there's a distinct implication here that you were supposed to be. But you haven't been. You're thieves and you're robbers. All you do is take and steal and destroy. I come to give life and I give it abundantly. He's the good shepherd. So what, what's the difference? The main difference I think he says is the way that I do that is that I give my life. I give my life. But I, you, what do we immediately go to when we hear Jesus say that? We go to the cross, right? These people had no idea, they had no conception of a Messiah that would come and die on a cross, okay? No conception of that. This is the most brutal, popular, common form of execution, the cross. There was no conception that somebody was going to come save them by hanging on that, a bloody mess. So they're picturing a shepherd with sheep that dies for those sheep. Okay, that's the picture they have in their head. But the false shepherds are the ones that give nothing. They give nothing. They only take their thieves and robbers. So the question you have to ask is, what is really my shepherd and how do I know the difference? What am I really looking to for protection and care? Jesus says that if he's our shepherd, he's giving life and he's giving it abundantly. Is my shepherd giving me life Am I getting it abundantly? How do I know if my shepherd is a false one? I borrow this from Sorgen Fry, Brian Sorgen Fry, it was a gem. How do I know a false shepherd? The false shepherd is the one who constantly beats you up and will never die for you. Never. Michael Jordan, um, 
Didn't catch flack uh, for his Hall of Fame speech, but his Hall of Fame speech, Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player who ever lived, do not argue with me. Um, he was awesome. His Hall of Fame speech, uh, a lot of people just, just said it's just like this, this great example of the athlete's ego. But if you knew his personality, it makes sense. But there's one thing that he said in his Hall of Fame speech that is so amazing. He says this. He said, the game of basketball has been everything to me. My refuge, a place that I have always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. What was basketball to Michael Jordan? It's a shepherd. It was a shepherd. No wonder he had such a hard time walking away from the game. He's still having problems with it. He went from the greatest basketball player that has ever lived to one of the worst general managers. Uh, he, he owns and operates a basketball NBA team now. To one of the worst, okay? And he's constantly fighting that struggle of who he used to be. There was this great piece. Uh, Michael Jordan actually just turned 50. And so there was a lot of hoopla about, about him turning 50. And there's this great article uh, by a guy named Wright Thompson for ESPN and he said, it's in your handout. Uh, in the article, he talks about just being around Michael Jordan and kind of just sensing the fire that's still there and he's trying to figure out how to deal with it. And he writes this, and this is why he, this guy's a journalist and I'm not. He writes this. There is a palpable simmering whenever you're around Jordan as if Air Jordan is still in there, churning, trying to escape. It must be strange to be locked in combat with the ghost of your former self. Man, in the end, Michael Jordan is never going to be able to live up to the expectations of his shepherd because his body won't let him anymore. Though his mind and his heart want to, it's just a constant treadmill, this constant mirror telling him he can't. He's done. He's finished. He only struggles. He's never going to find forgiveness there. What is your shepherd? What are the things that could be your shepherd tonight? I think for a lot of us, something that's ingrained into our Christianity is morality. Morality is our shepherd in that what I do is what leads me. What I do and what I stay away from are what guide me. They're what take care of me. Good life is doing the right things, staying away from the bad. But what happens to you when you're not doing so well? Is there grace? Is there forgiveness? No. That shepherd is only gonna tell you, you don't measure up, you better get your act together. That's all that shepherd will ever be able to tell you. Maybe your shepherd's just uh, college in general, college life. You're just, you're being led by the fact that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. And you're constantly seeking that next great moment, that next thing to alleviate your boredom, that thing to justify your existence as something worthwhile because I'm doing something big or whatever. And this is not just for the partiers, okay? You can get all of us. The question you have to ask yourself is the emptiness upon emptiness that you keep piling up, does it ever let go? Does it ever satisfy and when you know that it doesn't, does it forgive and say, okay, I'll let you rest for a minute? No, it calls you right back in. And from what you did the night before, you realize that you hope tomorrow night somehow tops it. Keeps calling you back again and again. 
Is your shepherd achievement? You've got this perfect kind of four-year plan mapped out. You're, maybe you're a junior or senior now, and you've just got this perfect thing mapped up of how it's going to go. What happens when it doesn't go the way you thought it would? What happens? What happens when there is something that you have absolutely no control over? What does that shepherd do for you? Is there grace? Or is there unrelenting guilt that tells you you need to get this under control? Maybe it's approval. This is girl or boy or group of people or whatever. That their affection, their approval is going to cure all. What happens when you're rejected? Is there grace? Is there forgiveness? No. There's that voice that says, you are not good enough. You are not good enough. And it just keeps coming. This is why Jesus says that false shepherds do nothing but steal and kill. False shepherds want to grind you into the ground, and that's precisely what they do. It's, I don't know how many of y'all listen to Dashboard Confessional. Maybe y'all were like in elementary school when they were popular. I don't know. Uh, but what you become is that great Dashboard Confessional song. You become, let me remember, a walking open wound, a trophy display of bruises. That is all your false shepherds do for you. Jesus says, now get this, Jesus says that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Look at verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I don't come to put the pressure on. I don't come to tie you down with expectation. I come so you can live. I came to give you life. And then he says, I know my sheep. They know me. And I lay down my life. Do you see the life in that? This is Jesus' metaphor, okay? It's his metaphor. And it's not a compliment that we're sheep. That's not a good thing. Being a shepherd was a costly and messy job. And shepherds were not popular. One of the things in the Old Testament that sticks out, Egyptians hated shepherds. It's one of the reasons they hated uh, the Hebrews that were slaves to them. They hated shepherds. And that's why it's so, so astounding that the good, new, the good tidings of great joy from the angels comes first to shepherds out in a field. He says, I know you, I know every single thing about you, I know your sin, I know your mess, and you know what I do with that? I give you my life. I give it to you. So where the other shepherds are merciless, merciless when you fail, merciless, you get that? Um, <laughs> so where other shepherds are merciless when you fail, when you're back to your old tricks, when you're rejected, in this shepherd, there is always mercy. Not just a one-time offering of it. It is always there because it was bought with his life. So maybe you thought you had things pretty together and you did something that just pretty much completely wiped out that conception. You know what Jesus says? He says, I laid down my life for that. Maybe you... You are still doing, still hanging on to that thing which you thought I would never do. Jesus says, I laid down my life for that. Maybe you just keep running and running and running and running for that approval, that stamp of approval, of affirmation, of value from something that you know will never get it. And Jesus says, I laid down my life for that. 
Who is the good shepherd? The good shepherd is the one who laid down his life. The next question is, how do I know then if I'm his sheep? How do I know if his life was for my life? The second thing is, probably the most repeated thing in this passage, his voice. His sheep know his voice. Okay, today, I, when I get an image of like sheep being herded, today sheep are herded with like dogs. They're pushed from the back, okay? Um, we, sheep are kind of driven. You notice he talks about the shepherd leading the sheep. Back then, at night, when shepherds would bring all their sheep back into the village from being out to pasture, they would have this one pen in the village where all the different shepherds would put their flocks all together in one pen. And in the morning, the shepherds, and I think this still happens in the, in the Middle East where they're shepherding, they go through the pen, a shepherd goes through the pen, and he calls his sheep by name, and they hear it, and they follow him out. Just his sheep. Jesus' sheep hear his voice. They love it. They grab onto it. They want more of it. They cannot get enough. Why? Mainly because you cannot separate his voice from his character. What was his character? His character was that he lays down his life for his sheep. You cannot separate his voice from that fact. What do I mean? Well, think about it simply. How do you read your Bible? How do you approach Bible study? How do you approach this that we're doing right here? I don't know. Um, how, do you, how do you think about church? Are they just words? Are they just rules? Are they just neat? Like, I really needed that to put in my pocket for this week, and maybe if I need it, I'll pull it out. Maybe it's scolding. Maybe it's constantly putting the pressure on you. Maybe it's just another burden for you. Those are strangers' voices, and they're ruthless, and they will hound you, and they will drive you, and they will push at you with goads, and they will drive you with dogs, and they will drive you into the pits. Those are strangers' voices. If this is just something that zaps the joy out of your life, it's just another burden for you, you're following a stranger's voice. It's not the voice of one who laid down his life for his sheep. Because that voice is not pointing to how precious he is. If you want to know if a voice is of Jesus, it's pointing to him. That's Jesus' voice. Think about, have you ever made, this isn't as common now because we all have, every person has an individual phone. But I can remember like when you picked up a house phone, these had cords on them usually and buttons. Um, they're usually two pieces and you called another building that had more than one person in it and you didn't know exactly who was gonna pick up the phone anyway. Um, but have you ever called somebody and the person that you were calling doesn't pick up the phone but you immediately know who that person is even though they didn't identify themselves? And it puts you at ease because you know the voice I think there's been no greater feeling for me and no greater refuge, maybe it's a shepherd for me, I don't know, for me than when I get home every night, I know the first words I'm gonna hear. And I've got three voices of them that say it now. Daddy, I know those voices. I can pick out those voices in the biggest crowd of kids. If I hear my kid yell, Daddy, I can hear it. I hear it, it melts me, it puts me at ease, it comforts me. 
It comes alive. There comes a time for Jesus' sheep where these aren't just teaching and advice. This isn't just something like, man, I need something to fix me. Um, what, do I need, what do I need to find? Like, where, where do I go? Where's X, Y, Z, or whatever? There comes a time when for Jesus' sheep, you realize it's his voice. That Jesus, your shepherd, speaks to you. Not only does he speak to you, but he calls you by name. And he shows you exactly who you are and where you are. And at the same time, he shows you how great he is to meet you there. Shows you his grace, his forgiveness, his laying his life down. And what it does is it ends up causing you, it ends up driving you to worship him. It ends up driving you to do and want to do whatever he says. Because you know his voice there's no greater illustration of this than dating, right? We know people individually, and then they get together, and they are two totally different people, and we hate it, don't we? Because that person, that person, this person here can tell this person something to do that you know that they would never do, and they do it at the drop of a hat. It's because of the voice that it came from. If you've, never, if you've never had the sense of, there is something to this, this sense of, there is someone behind this. If you've never felt that pull, I have to suggest to you, you may not be his sheep. There's someone speaking to you in the pages of scripture. But we think, okay, but yeah, there's a bunch of different guys speaking to me in scripture, right? Not necessarily. I want you to hear this. This blows me. I, if you stick around with me for like four years, so freshman, if you're with me, yeah, awesome. You're excited about it. That makes me happy. You'll probably hear me quote this once a semester at least. Second Peter chapter one. Peter says the most mind-blowing thing I think in all of scripture other than the fact that the son of God himself came down and died for us. You know that part. Um, Peter says something amazing. He says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. What he's talking about is Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus, I think Matthew 18, onto a mountain and the glory cloud that we read about in Old Testament comes down on this mountain and Jesus starts to glow like a light bulb. It's weird, okay? One of, the two t- one of only two times when God the Father speaks in the Old Testament They audibly heard God the Father say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Peter reflects back on that event, seeing Jesus glow like a light bulb and hearing God the Father audibly speak in a glory cloud. He thinks about that instance and he says this. We have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Boom, mind blown, right? 
Peter is saying, I heard God the Father speak that day, but I'm telling you that every day, I have it as sure as that day, right here in what I read, because he's speaking. And it does call, it calls for full submission. The sheep that hear his voice, they do what it says. It calls for full submission because he's Lord. But it also is a call to grace and forgiveness and love. So it becomes submission to a perfectly loving father. I don't know what your father's situations are like. But we all wish we had perfect ones. This is it. Do you hear the call of submission from God with a wagging finger and a paddle? Or do you hear the call to life? from your shepherd. Final thing is this. How do we know that Jesus is the good shepherd? It's his hands. Okay, we get to verse 22, and perhaps there's a, there's a time lapse here between where Jesus was and another time he comes back to Jerusalem and says this, but he goes back to the same metaphor. The people at this time, they're like, look, dude, tell it. Just, if you're the Messiah, just say, hey, I'm the Messiah. And he pretty much says, what more can I say than I've already said? The hatred that they have for him is cluing us into that his death is near. He tells them plainly this, you don't hear me because you are not my sheep. Here's the thing, Jesus is not sentimentalizing the fact that he's the shepherd and we're the sheep. He's being brutally honest. You don't know who I am because you're not my sheep. And that's why he's the door. We're gonna see this more in the, when he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. He keeps in what is in as the door. He says, I'm the door in the midst of all this. It's kind of interchangeable. He says, I'm the door because he keeps what is in, in, and he keeps out what is out, out. He, he is the line of de- demarcation. There's this constant tension in the person of Jesus. He is at the same time the most inclusive person that has ever been and the most exclusive person there's ever been. What do I mean by that? On one hand, he says, I love people that nobody else would. All of them. But on the same token, I am the only way. And if you do not see that, you're not my sheep. But then he gives his sheep some of the most comforting news news of all. You look at verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Do you see what makes Jesus the good shepherd and what makes us his sheep is that we are eternally secure in his arms. We are eternally secure in his arms. Did you catch it? Nothing can snatch you from his hand. Did you catch that? It's not that nothing will take Jesus away from you. Jesus says, nothing will take you away from me. It's not how well you hold on to him It is about his hold on you. For those who hear his voice, his grip on them is so sure that nothing can take them away. 
Do you hear that voice? Do you hear that voice that says, I am holding on and nothing will budge you? I will never let go. It's not how well you've done. It's not how well you do. It's not how much you believe. It is my grip on you. In contrast, do you see the stranger's voice? Wherever you're hearing it tonight, I don't know. Maybe it's from a place of brokenness. Maybe it's from a place of doubt. Maybe it's from a place of frustration. Maybe it's from a place of exhaustion from your parents, from your friends, from schoolwork. I don't know. But all you've been, hopefully not here, but all you've been hearing and all you constantly hear is that you're not holding on good enough. All you're doing is slipping. And that's the reason really why you just wanna throw your hands up in the air and walk away from the whole thing. But what Jesus is saying is, see that it's me who holds on to you. And I never let go. Psalm 23, very familiar to many of us, I'm I'm assuming. And I love that verse. And I'm not sure I never ever fully understood what this meant. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Kind of maybe all this, this image that like as we go about our lives, like his goodness and mercy is like kind of got our back, Right? It's kind of backing us up and, you know, if we fall down, it's kind of pats us on the behind and we get going. That word in Hebrew, that it follows us, it literally means that it pursues us. It comes after us. It's a word used in hunting, meaning it comes after you and it will not stop until it has you. Surely his goodness and mercy will pursue me, will hunt me down all the days of my life even to the end. Do you believe that? There's a great question. I'll end with this. There's this great picture in Revelation 7. Revelation 7, we get this picture of this host of people in heaven gathered around the throne, this host that no one can number, okay? And as they look to the throne, they see something, and it's two metaphors that we get. There's a lamb on the throne, meaning that the one on the throne was one of us. But we're also told that that lamb is our shepherd, meaning he takes care of us. And it goes like this. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Will your to-do list do that for you? Your grades, your resume, boyfriend or your girlfriend, some renewal or double down effort, I don't know. Will they do that for you? The promise of scripture is that he will because he did it with his life. He gave his life, it is sure. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more pain, sorrow, sickness, and death because that is where he is leading us, not driving us. Because he is the good shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus, our good, faithful, and true shepherd, 
You who left the 99 to gather even just the one. You know us. You've made us for yourself. You know us where we are. You know our mess. You know our brokenness. You know how much we run from you, yet we are eternally secure in your arms. We long to know that tonight, Father. We long to know your touch, the healing of your grace, the knowledge of the truth that you truly did lay down your life for us that we might truly live. Would you write this truth indelibly upon our hearts, we pray. Amen.